Welcome to the Pseudoboat Podcast. This is episode number seven. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And this is Justin Edwards. And with us today is friend of the show and uh, good filmmaking friend from days past, from my <laughs> AFI days, um, Shuchi Talati. Say hello. Hey, guys. And I'm I honestly, I, did I say your last name right? I don't think I've heard formally... No, Shuchi Taladi, that's correct. Shuchi Taladi, okay, I'm assuming that's right, but you never know. I, when you see other countries' words, you're like, want to make sure. I also uh, like to say, um, I don't know if this is because Google knows everything about me, but when I typed your first name in, it auto-completed with Taladi and not any of the other Shuchis. So, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but you're very Googleable. <laughs> it's an unusual name, both here and in India, so... Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Um, well, speaking of that, I like to uh, we like to start at the very beginning with our, our guests sometimes, and uh, just let you kind of introduce yourself and tell us about your background, where you came from, and what you're doing. All right. Uh, so I grew up in a smaller town in India called Baroda. Uh, for those of you who can picture India as a diamond, I came from the westmost corner. Uh, so I grew up in a smaller town. I lived there until I was 17. I nearly became a doctor. But somewhere, somewhere around the way, switched gears, moved to Bombay, studied um, literature because I've always loved stories. And I had a teacher who uh, studied uh, film at NYU, and she did a couple uh, elective film programs at, uh, at, at school. Which I took and uh, ended up making my first film and kind of fell into film backwards, really. It was never something that I thought I would do. So did you grow up with, uh, like, your family watched a lot of movies? Like, was it a common part of your growing up experience or was it more the, the schooling was a big introduction for you? I would not say film was a big part of growing up, Uh where I grew up, I think all the kids sort of are geared towards uh, becoming doctors or engineers or like accountants. Like this is my whole family. It's doctors, engineers, accountants, architects. Mm. And uh, I did, of course, watch uh, a lot of Bollywood films. In fact, my best friend growing up, her family owned a movie theater. Oh, that's so, cool. So uh, we watched uh, Bollywood films, but... Those films, even now, to me, mainstream Bollywood, even though I love it and I have this great, you know, nostalgic tie to it, uh, those films nev- never captured me as stories. They, are, they were more spectacles and they were more entertainment. But, but I read a lot as a kid. So, uh, like, stories were a big part of growing up. And I, I tried my hand at writing. I tried, you know, like I guess everyone else, writing poetry and like short fiction, and I was terrible. So, <laughs> so, so, I, I, like I'm kind of glad that I found film, you know, which is like, I guess, an, uh, where people way of who can't stories. write end up. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's another where discussion. I ended up. <laughs> yeah, it's so, not like you're teaching so, gym though. no but yeah so i I mean i still funnily enough i still think like reading is my first love but i can't write so i make films 
That's cool. Um, and so then, how did you get from you taking a couple of film courses and deciding that's that's a cool thing you wanted to explore to getting into the AFI system? So uh, after studying uh, literature, I did a media program where I made my first film. And uh, right out of that, I kind of worked in Bombay for a little while. So I had like an awful job uh, on commercials production companies. I was a PA and it was probably the worst uh, set experience that I've ever had. I mean, uh, I had two bosses, these two directors who worked together. And I can say without any degree of exaggeration that they were like Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my first job. But despite all of this, I loved being on set. So so from then, uh, I I ended up working on an independent Bollywood film. uh, And I was the director's assistant, which would... I mean, which really meant I was around to carry his script and bring him coffee. But he was a super nice guy who also went to school in... LA you know several years ago Mm -hmm. and he taught me a whole bunch so he allowed me to be there for rehearsals with the actors he allowed me to sit through there sit through the whole edit with him and the editor so I learned like a whole lot and then just as the film was finishing up a couple of my really close friends started a game development company in india uh it was uh, i don't know if you guys have heard of second life yeah yeah uh, so they started this company in i guess which did marketing campaigns inside of second life which was not only bizarre around the world but was super bizarre in india <laughs> and they of all things hired me to uh shoot videos which would be like commercials for these uh, Second Life campaigns. Yeah. So these like, I mean, you guys might know, you know, films shot in video games are called machinimas. So they basically hired me to direct machinimas. And nobody else at that point was going to hire me to direct anything. So I was like, sure, whatever. So I I spent two years with them. How recently was this? Sorry? How recently was the Second Life production? Is this actually still like a thing or is it kind of died out? So uh, the Second Life production, I, uh, the company started in April of 2007 and I stayed with them until fall of 2009 when I came to, uh, came to AFI. And uh, I think 2007 and 2008 was a big boom period for Second Life. I mean, it was getting a lot of press and mm-hmm. you know there were companies around the world that were doing that. It's a great platform, but I think it was ahead of its time and I think it sort of has died uh, yeah, I like since to, then. Yeah, I like to think of Second Life as like the second wave of simulation virtual reality that's kind of, you know, it's like the friendster and it's like, yeah, we haven't really hit the Facebook moment for this thing. Totally. I mean, it's like for anyone who, I mean, for most people, it was like you log on to Second Life and unlike any other game on Second Life, it's like being in a city where you don't know anyone and don't know what to do. So, you know, most people would log on out of curiosity and, like, kind of leave right away. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I think the retention rate was really low. But the company that I worked for is called Indus Geeks. Uh, they have, uh, they kind of uh, moved on beyond Second Life, and they actually now build their own games from scratch, and they're doing really well. But back then, it was all Second Life, and I stayed, uh, I, over two years, I probably made, like, 25 short films, uh, corporate videos, commercials, and I, that is where I really honed my craft. 
and and then uh, in 2009, I kind of roped in my programmer and 3D designer friends from this company to help me make a short film because I didn't have anything live action. Uh-huh. And I submitted and I submitted that to AFI, and I guess I ended up here. Awesome! Wow! I, I see. I never knew that about you. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I agree with Second Life too. It's it's a fascinating study of yeah ahead of its time because I do envision the future where like yeah I think a lot of people probably will live in some weird virtual <laughs> world more than real life. Um, maybe we're just not right quite ready yet, or it's widespread enough. Um, but uh, totally. so, so then you you came to AFI and what? How did you hear of AFI in the first place? Somebody say, "Hey, you should go there," or no, Google. Google. I Googled, <laughs> yeah, I googled best film schools in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. And, and this was uh, before they officially won that. I'm try it right now. <laughs> exactly. So a bunch of uh, schools came up, and I applied to a whole bunch. Uh, yeah. And I very nearly went to CalArts. Uh, but I changed my mind and came to AFI instead. Uh-huh. That's fun. So. I, uh, I have similar ex- experience going to AFI. Well, I guess I ended up there. I, I was applying for PhD programs, like, in film all over the country. Um, and then I had, like, AFI. I was like, I guess I could go get my MFA, though, and, like, make a few more <laughs> movies. Um, and all of my PhD programs denied me. And I was like, I guess I'm going to AFI then. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Which, I mean, I, I was got... thrilled. I mean, AFI's a nice, prestigious little film school, but I was still just like, oh, it was like, it wasn't my top choice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It wasn't my fa- yeah, it wasn't my top choice either, but it kind of became my top choice. <laughs> and then they were the, uh, I think it was the school to accept me last so I was like, oh no, like my top, cho- my new top choice has had some like, uh, you know, <laughs> written to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to kind of play that game though. I don't, I don't, I never want to do it again. I won't, but, um, stuff is, we ended up at AFI and that's where we met. Um, so then you, you came, true? you came to America. Was this your first time coming to USA? No, I visited briefly in 2005. Okay. And uh, to Hollywood, you, you did the LA thing, or I didn't. I, I I think I spent a bunch of time on the East Coast, and I think on the West Coast, I only went to San Francisco. And honestly, I did not like it. And uh, for the longest time, uh, my parents wanted me to come here and like do a grad program, uh, like because I didn't become a doctor. I mean, the least I could do was like study abroad and have a valuable <laughs> degree. And I resisted it for years. I just I was like I. I just don't want to go. Like I, I love Bombay. I love it here, but I think like I, I think things came together. It was time for me to like leave Bombay. I needed a change, and you know I kind of caved. So yeah, um, in my head I'm putting together a very cliche like uh, you know parents in the child who doesn't want to do what the parents want to do. Like you don't want to become a doctor. Everyone in your family is a doctor. Was there any kind of like dramatic story there or was it you said you wanted to be a filmmaker and they were cool with it no so I told them uh, at the end of my 11th grade and 11th and 12th grade in India is when uh, the kids are all preparing for all kinds of tests which will help them get into like the top med schools or the top engineering schools so apart from like my school work I was also uh, 
prepping for this test called PMT or the pre-medical test. Uh-huh. And and I kind of stopped and I told them at the end of 11th grade saying, hey, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm, I think I'm going to go study literature. And I mean, this was like shockwaves through my family, <laughs> uh-huh. through like friends, school, like teachers. And the next year was awful. I feel like everyone I know every time they met wanted to sit me down and try and change my life and it came from it it came from a good place they really thought I was throwing my life away you know I was like a straight A student I was like I could have gone to a good med school and they were like what are you doing so so that I mean it was tough and uh and then I think midway through the year I kind of realized that nobody really was going to change their mind so they would come, say their piece. I stopped arguing. I would just listen and nod and smile. And, you know, people went away thinking, oh, we've changed our mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you stuck to your guns. Yeah. Um, it was a fun, yeah, it was fun. But my parents, I have to say, like, uh, that one year was hard for them, but they, they really kind of came around, you know, they rallied around ever since and, and have been super supportive. I think it took them several years to uh, understand what I was doing. And uh, rightly so, I had no idea. Like, I, I mean, the studying <laughs> literature was really a stopgap thing. I, it's not like I had any big plans. Yeah. But I think, like, they came back around to support me long before they understood the decision. So, you know. <laughs> Well, that's good then. Was there any uh, particular genre of literature that like was most interesting to you, or was that also just sort of a an open investigation? Totally open. I think like there was nobody really to direct me and tell me what to read. So I read just indiscriminately. I would read a Sidney Sheldon novel, and I would read Tolstoy, and I would read like Daniel Steele, and I would. I, I, and I would read Jeffrey Archer, and there was the, they were just all these books on the bookshelves in our home or in my school, and I just like I just went through the shelves, you know. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. It, just, it just comes from a love of story, and when it comes down to it, um, that's great. Um, and then I guess we won't get too much into AFI. I think we've even talked about it a few times on other podcasts, but. Um, how did you feel that it was as a program for directors and yourself in preparing you and kind of taking you to that next stage of your career? Uh, I would say I came in knowing very little. So uh, <laughs> it was certainly helpful because one of the things that I had very little experience with uh, was working with actors. Yeah. Uh, given the machinima background. Yeah. So... Uh, so there were uh, certainly things that were like AFI introduced to me and gave me like a, a toolkit for. But uh, I would say like the real takeaway from AFI was not how good the program was because I think the directing program, if I'm absolutely honest, is a little bit lacking. But I think what I, I probably took away was uh, collaborators that I love and I respect and I hope I'll continue to work with for a long time. It seems like this is sort of the the comment everyone has about higher education is like, yeah, the classes were kind of iffy, but I met the people I was going to work with the rest of my life, or I met the network of people. And that's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's not a bad trade. I mean, that's arguably more valuable because you can learn skills a hundred different ways, but how how can you meet people? Of course, you could argue 
that you, if you just work in the business, you might meet people, and then you might not have to spend all the money that true, you spend. But true, true. <laughs> but, but we don't want to think that. They, they like their that. image as the the gatekeeper of of access to expertise and networks. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm proud to pay my student loans. It mean it means I made a great sacrifice for something I loved. <laughs> I'm like I'm the guy who sits down and to myself and keeps telling myself to change my mind, and I just smile and nod. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, but I think you know, and I saw the films you made at AFI, and I was impressed, and I, I got to know you a little bit through some of them, and um, I always appreciated your 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 knack for character especially i think is what you know always what i like to pay attention to when i watch film is you know we have our plots and stuff people go through but where we kind of find the subtlety of what a character is going through and how they're reacting to their situations um and that's something i appreciate about your work and in that i've seen since then um and i i saw you may and ash and have you made anything else since afi formally no, I think uh, May and Ash has been the one kind of film that I've made and has gone out to the world mm-hmm. since. So, so yeah. j- just for our uh, listeners who aren't familiar, can you sort of give us a little description of what May and Ash is all about? Sure. Uh, it's a story about a couple, May and Ash, uh, who for all sense and purposes seem to have an, you know, a really great loving relationship. And... Uh, Though very early on you discover that uh, they, their relationship is actually open and they have uh, rules where uh, on certain nights of the month they are allowed to go and meet with and sleep with other people. So uh, really the story uh, kind of kicks into high gear when May is, uh, f- runs into Ash's date in their apartment the next morning and the three of them sit down to have a very interesting breakfast. <laughs> Not awkward at all, yeah. Uh, no? No. But it was very good. It was very subtle, though. And it was very, like, had this, like, sweetness to it that was a bittersweetness to it. Um, but you, you got to know kind of how they felt through this. And um, there was some great music in that, too, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Some great music. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, do you want to talk about the music? Yeah, well, I just had the privilege of uh, you uh, asking me if you you could use some Genetic Engine song during uh, the bar scene. So I was happy to to work that out and always pleased to to be asked to be involved. Yeah, so I think. Yeah, it was easy. I mean, I I heard the album and I loved it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Let's go, and it, it actually made May and Ash a suitable production, you know. Uh, <laughs> we, we put it on our website and say, "Hey, look at this thing we did." You know, you don't have to say exactly what we did on it, but <laughs> there's some kind of assimilating force that, like, <laughs> yeah, we lay claim to things because of the tiniest participation. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I ate at that restaurant, and it's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is what LA teaches you. Yeah, pseudo book Earth Cafe. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I mean, we can move on. But I, I like discussing May and Ash because I really enjoyed the. It's not, not everything's in the lines or the dialogue, but so much is submerged into there's the space they live in, 
and uh, the habits they have and how those get disrupted. Yeah, uh, thank you. I mean, I don't mind talking about the film because I, I, I think as a filmmaker, uh, as a writer and a director, it was kind of like a breakthrough film for me, you know? Uh, so I think it was uh, really a step in the direction of finding my voice. And uh, I think what you're saying kind of refers back to, I think I've kind of z- zeroed into what my interest is as a filmmaker. I think... Uh, you know, there's like the world outside and that there's a world within. And I feel like, at least at this point in my life, the world within and specifically the parts of yourself that are hidden from you are really interesting to me. So what I love about May, you know, is that she she has this feeling about this open relationship. This is not new. I mean, this is uh, it's uncomfortable to her. She probably doesn't like it. It's not right for her. But not only is she not admitting this to Ash, but she's not admitting it to herself. And like the circumstances in the film kind of bring things to a head. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is interesting to me when characters discover something seminal about themselves. Yeah, I agree. It's that that stop moment. Like, wait a minute. All this time, I, you mean like they didn't even realize, and I think that's where the greatest, you know, the joy of finding that dramatic key to kind of turning, and especially in a, a short film too. I think that's something um, to zero in on, like a hundred percent, especially because it's just a short film, and that's all you get to like. You only really have a few minutes to to grab people and then tell them this self-contained thing and then to have them come away with something that was poignant and introspective and um so to me yeah so if if i could ask um the sort of the the common wisdom about short writing like short story writing is that it's in a way much harder than writing longer is that true for film too other than the production length uh Honestly, I can't say that I know. Uh, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm not qualified enough to answer this because I'm in the process of writing two features. Neither of them is complete. And I, I've written a few shorts. So right now I'm tempted to say because I've accomplished one thing and not the other, maybe the short <laughs> is easier. But I do think that it's, it's harder to write a good short, you know? I mm. think there is like a lot more... In some ways, uh, a feature can be more and less forgiving. But I think as mm-hmm. far as, like, I think a lot more things can be turned into a successful feature and fewer things can be turned into successful shorts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like so. If you got a good idea, maybe it's not harder to produce, but getting that thing honed down is more difficult. Yeah. Well, that, that was one of my... Uh, experiences from going to AFI was they teach short films and that's what you make there over and over again Um, but they end up becoming just like mini features where like people are trying to cram so much character development and plot and like story to expand all like you know whatever time frame and for me I always thought like isn't a short film just like tells a little story about like oh this isn't about the guy who breaks out of jail and tries to live a good life with his family and gets back out for one more job so he robs a bank and like do we need to tell those things can't we just tell the story of here he is robbing the bank like shouldn't that be the short story version of the feature version 
Um, totally. I mean, I feel like you have to think of a short uh, film like a joke, you know, in that like this happens, that happens and punchline, you know, the, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it needs to be a comedy, but I feel like, okay, mm-hmm. like you kind of, you have to have a very definite punchline which follows quickly, you know, after one or two major events. And honestly, like, uh, I think May and Ash works reasonably well as a short because it's still pretty contained. But if I had to do it again, uh, I do think it's still kind of a long short, you know, hmm. uh, especially when we submit it to festivals. And it, I, it, like, I'm happy with what it did at festivals, but I do suspect that had it been shorter, you know. What was the uh, running time in the end? Uh, 20 minutes. 20, and then well, festivals won everything under 15 or... Yeah, I would say like under 15, under 12, like, wow. you know, that that would probably have been a sweet spot. Because uh-huh. y- you have a shorts block and, you know, it, which is like two hours, you know, if it's 20 minute films, then they can only program six. Or like if they want to program a short, which is thematically similar to a feature, you know, before a feature, you know, uh, again, like yeah. 20 minutes is a little long. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um yeah, it's kind of you get into that gray area. I'm submitting Detective to festivals right now, too, and this is kind of my first go-around with festivals. I never sent my thesis around, or uh, my other short I did, I just sent to, like, a couple, but you start to yeah. get to see the common threads through all the festivals, and the, the bizarre, like, movies that are, like, 45 minutes or over our features and I'm like who makes a 45 minute film like (laughs) (laughs) I know that's such a bizarre length how did you decide to stop there like I don't know what the writing was like our our script is 50 pages so what is it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I wonder if some things just only have to be as long as they have to be um yeah, That's I know, a for good some point. reason I'm reminded of. Uh, have you, you guys ever learned about the backstory of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, no, um, th- I don't know everything, obviously, but um, they just talked about how they were like, "This is like a six-minute song. You can't have a radio hit that's six minutes long." But every time they went to try to cut part of that song out, they're like, "This no, all of it is essential. There's nothing we can reduce from this song." Mm-hmm. I wonder if you ever reach that point or if it's it's usually a battle against including too much and you're like no stop it or <laughs> that's a great point I think I mean like uh, I mean especially if you think of other me you know me say painting you know I mean there's no saying how big or small a painting should be you know it is the size that it needs to be uh, uh-huh. and I think because of film because it uh, I mean, because it just takes more resources to make a film and, you know, we call it the film industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, yeah, okay, so the, the only avenues for distribution, uh, if say if it's going theatrical then uh, and people are used to paying 10 or 12 or $14 for a ticket, you know, you can't give them a 45-minute film. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. There's, there's so. a whole economics to it that's probably driving most of this yeah some of this yeah they've they've got it down packed i think and you just kind of have to work within those end game well, you I, know, scenario 
I even just read that uh, I was just watching Kill Bill because it was on Netflix and uh, was reading the Wikipedia page and he wanted it to be one film but the Weinsteins were just like yeah how about shorter films and they, <laughs> they convinced him to split it into two films but and then what now it's uh, Peter Jackson's doing oh, the opposite man. with more <laughs> hobbits that we need that we need uh, I know good grief oh, well. <laughs> GoPro footage yeah <laughs> Um, well, I definitely, I wanted to take some time to let you talk about gutter snipes and where that's been and where it's going. So, uh, gutter snipes was a project actually, like I came out of school with, you know, uh, you know, that he, I mean, Justin knows that gutter snipes was the very first short film that I made at AFI mm-hmm. and, uh, the writer Joe Aaron and I, uh, ended up developing it into a feature. Or I should say that Joe wrote it and was kind enough to come to me and ask if I would direct it. So really as early as the summer of 2010, uh, we had the script. And since then, uh, the project has gone through so many ups and downs. We had producers attached to it before who thought they had money and we were setting a date to shoot in, in 2011. And I naively believe that, of course, that would happen. Uh, <laughs> but but I'd you know I'd not been out in the LA film world at all, actually. Uh, that fell through. Uh, another producing partner fell through. I think the problem was that everyone really loved the script. Uh, just really quickly, it's a story about a teen, a homeless girl named Joe, who lives on the streets and one day sees a 12-year-old autistic girl who's just dropped off and abandoned by her family. And Joe first sees an opportunity and robs this little girl and then uh, feels sorry for her and ends up taking care of her. And it's really the story about these two girls who are homeless but are trying to make a home on the streets. So, and I think the script, uh, I can say this because I didn't write it, I think it's very powerful. And people, when they read it, always respond to it. So I think producers would fall in love with the script and want to do something with it. Uh, But there are several challenges. I mean, both the leads are young, 17 and 12. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's unlikely that there are going to be names. Uh, Mm -hmm. The leads are women. It's a drama. I'm a first-time filmmaker. Uh, So... I feel like there are so many so all the, uh, all the biases against it. Yeah, so uh, so w- even though people love it, it's hard to raise money for it. And I think if they're not absolutely passionate about it, you know, it, it's, it's in an easy first project for producers to drop. Mm-hmm. So at some point, uh, we got really tired of not having any control over it. And we decided, you know what, we're just going to go to Arkansas uh, where the film is set. Uh, so we're going to go to Little Rock, meet people, see if we can raise money, do a Kickstarter campaign. And we ended up doing that. Uh, we Our Kickstarter goal was 75000 which I'm happy to say we met. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, that was really exciting for us. However, uh, it wasn't... It not only was it not the full budget, it wasn't even the full shooting budget of the film, but we did have some money to work with. We got a really great casting director uh, on board, and she helped us find one of our leads, the little autistic girl. And 
Oddly enough, like finding the second lead has been so much harder. I would think that casting the younger girl would be the hard part mm-hmm. and you could find the teen girl. Uh, but maybe it's just bad luck. I mean, the, the part was written for an African-American girl and we've now opened it up to all uh, ethnicities. But maybe there's not that many... Uh, there's fewer African-American actors. But I think the the other real reason is that I know that actress is in every city. I mean, there's one Joe in L.A. and one Joe in Little Rock. It's just that we don't have the resources to do a real search. And the girls that get sent to us are girls that have representation. You know, we're posting on the breakdowns. Right. And mm-hmm. we just haven't seen... We just haven't seen the actress that we've fallen in love with. So uh, so since the Kickstarter, the challenge has been to cast. And sometimes when the casting gets tough, we go back to fundraising. And, you know, when the fundraising uh, is slow, we go back to casting. So we've kind of been going Bouncing back and back. forth. Yeah. Like, it, uh, this is this has been the big learning. Like, you know, we have a plan A, and which doesn't work. And then we come up with a plan B and C and D. And we're probably on plan Z. I mean, you know, yeah. we're... I mean, we're still... I am grateful to say that, like, even though it was a project that I signed on to in 2010... And I've kind of grown, uh, like I've changed as a person, I've changed as a filmmaker, you know, and it, I was afraid that I would get to a point where I would actually be less excited about it because in some way I had gone in a different direction. But mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to say that every time I kind of come back and read the script a few months later, you know, it, uh, it really hits me in an emotional place. I always cry towards the end. It's always like, I was like, okay, yeah, like I, gotta I have make to make this, this film, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah, so uh, I, I'm ki- I'm kind of glad that I'm able to come back to it even when things get hard. And uh, last year we uh, finally got a producer on board who believes in the project and believes in us. I think uh, maybe that was missing with past collaborations, but I think Tim Jackson, who is uh, from Little Rock, Arkansas, and splits his time between LA and Arkansas. Uh, he came on board last uh, last year, and uh, things have sort of picked up momentum. I think he's uh, been able to open doors in the LA, like I guess, film funding world that Joe and I did not uh, have access to. So here's hoping that 2014 is actually the year that the film gets shot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right, Tim Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I've been following it eagerly. I mean, ever since I heard that you were developing it, I'm Joe Aaron's a good friend of mine too, and we've worked on stuff as well. And you know, just huge fans of you guys, and just can't wait to see you go do this after years of pushing. So, um, thank we'll, you, we'll, Justin. We'll be in touch. Absolutely, following. Um, but you have you mentioned here you have another project. In the meantime, what's Minnesota Yes, for my nice? sanity. For yes. my sanity. And that, that would have been my follow-up question. is like, okay, so you, what do you do while you're not yeah, making you something? You can't just take three years off. <laughs> yeah. God, uh, what do I do? Uh, like, I wake up with a feeling like I have a stone on my chest and oh. I'm a massive, giant failure. No, but... <laughs> but I think, like... Uh, you too? I think... <laughs> but I think for two years, uh, Gettersnaps was like everything to me. 
you know mm-hmm. and uh, I think while you need that kind of a that kind of passion and single mindedness to kind of get a film made but you quickly learn that not only is that unhealthy that's just I mean it's just pure craziness you know because films can take so long to get made so late last year I started writing two other projects um one is the working title is Minnesota Nice. It's it's set in Minnesota. And I really I'm like co- that title, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm co-writing uh, this with Kelsey McNamee, who was the co-producer and also the lead uh, in May and Ash. Uh-huh. And this would actually be uh, my third film with Kelsey. She acted in one of my AFI films. We hit it off really well, so then we collaborated on Man Ash, and now this is our biggest collaboration. We're writing together, and uh, it's still in early stages, so I don't really have a full-blown pitch. But uh, it's a story. It's a brother-sister story, and it's a story about a girl who loves her uh, sociopathic brother and uh, decides that she's going to change him because that is the only way that she can get him to love her back. Huh, interesting. So. Is Kelsey from Minnesota? Is that the connection there? Kelsey is from Minnesota, so that is the connection, yes. Yeah, okay. Interesting. All right. And they're just renowned for being nice. I think that's the, the bigger connection, honestly. Sorry? <laughs> just a bad joke about. Never mind. <laughs> they're <laughs> no, nice okay, up there. You... I said it, yeah, they're yeah, nice they're up nice there, and that's the... the bigger connection. <laughs> Well, it it also, I mean, not that has anything to do with that, but I've been watching uh, Fargo TV series. I don't know if you've seen any of that. Um, But they really play off a lot of this, like, northern country America, like, niceness, which is a total front for, like, what's really going on in everybody's life. Um, Really, No, totally. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we, uh, I mean, just this, like, this, surface niceness which you know Kelsey knows from Minnesota and I kind of know from India was you know uh, what inspired this working title and then uh, you have another project aside from that too yeah so uh, that's another project I'm super excited about Um, it's set in India because I obviously also want to make uh, films in India and it's set in a boarding school and okay how should I say it so May and Ash was originally written, uh, set in India with teenagers. Ah, interesting. Uh, but for logistical reasons, because I was here in LA, I ended up, you know, kind of revising it. Yeah. But I want to uh, do that story. So it's teenagers in India in a boarding school in a pretty conservative setting, you know, uh, uh, the kind of high school that I grew up with where there were a lot of rules about what you could and couldn't do. And if you were a couple, you know, you were kind of, uh, you were sort of outcast because, you know, if you were a girl, you were considered fast. So uh, in this strange setting, I want to put in a boy and a girl who not only have like a relationship and their first sexual experience but they kind of transgress and break all the rules and end up having an open relationship in this very conservative setting and yeah. it's really the story of the 15 year old girl who comes to realize that she's actually swapped one set of rules out for another and huh. uh, she has to kind of come to an understanding of what is right for her and she learns this 
from the two women that her boyfriend has affairs with. That's really interesting. That's so, great. Uh, so that's, that's currently cool. in production or pre-production or no that's being uh, that is in development gotcha and i'm hoping that when i make my annual trip to india i can meet people and pitch it and see if there'd be any interest i mean i hope there is uh, the sex is kind of taboo in india and in film and uh, teenage sex uh, there oh is not a high <laughs> there is not really up. a high school yeah um. there's not really a high school genre in india and uh like I don't know. I don't know who wants to fund this, but I really want to make this film. <laughs> yeah. As far as the development goes, is that just you writing or do you have writing partners you work with or No, this is just me. Just you. All right. Mm-hmm. Um I have to ask what you do day to day to pay your bills and live in America. Yes, that is a good and very important question. Uh, I right uh, right out of AFI, I applied for uh, an internship at this small production company, primarily because it was the only paid internship I could find, and I wanted to save up money to go to Germany. Mm-hmm. So I I took this job, uh, which is really boring. Uh, it, we were distributing uh, a ski documentary, and because it was really niche, so we were like. Like literally reaching out to ski clubs and like mountaineering <laughs> clubs and like marketing to them. And I was the person who was doing this research. So I had this giant Google spreadsheet of like ski clubs around the world. Yeah. So if you feel anyway, free, feel feel free to say uh, what what was the name of this ski documentary? It's called The Life Ascending, and it's actually a really really good film. <laughs> I, I only That's ask because, like, on the on the off chance, then the once in the million, because I I did some music for a ski documentary, and I knew they were trying to market huh. it, but I'm sure there's How a billion of them. <laughs> ski documentaries, <laughs> <laughs> unknown world. But uh, when this little two month stint as an intern ended, and I did my little trip and I came back uh, the director of the documentary the producer director who also went to AFI by the way like it was totally coincidental I didn't get the job due to that connection but he graduated in 97 okay and uh, we got along he's very nice and he said you know do you want to come back in any other capacity and I was like as long as it's not this soul killing work I'm like totally <laughs> down <laughs> So so I started working with him and like over the two years then my role has kind of evolved. I would say I'm sort of a creative assistant to him. Like he's writing two uh, feature films on which I act as a writing assistant. He's making a personal documentary on which I'm sometimes a producer. Uh, and then uh, he also does works with uh, non-profits and he does other web work and whatever his creative and other projects are I, I kind of help with so it, it's it's turned into a role that I quite enjoy like I work four days a week you know I work maybe like a 30 hour week mm-hmm. and uh, leaves me plenty of time to work on my things and I, I think I'm just I used to kind of look down on jobs that pay bills, but I have grown to be very grateful 
for it because it really lets me do what I want to do. And Steven Weinberg, the director that I work with, has been like beyond kind to me. You know, he he's a filmmaker and he travels and he understands and encourages my projects. So when he's traveling, you know, he's very good about like letting me take time off. So I'm hoping like like he's going to travel all of August and I'm hoping I can actually take most of that month off to go go away somewhere and write. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah, it's 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 really a blessing. Um well I have to ask last week's guest actually we ended up talking about that a lot too is kind of the the artist who's like, you know, it's artist on the side for now kind of an approach. Um as we have our day jobs to to keep going by and carrying the torch, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's it's challenging when your job and your career are not the same thing, you know? We're, uh-huh. we're trying to do two things, but I think I've, I've kind of taken solace in the fact that, you know what, like, it sucks, but artists through the centuries have done this. T.S. Eliot always had a day job, all his life. Hmm. I mean, William Carlos Williams was a doctor, Good grief! I mean, this—you know—these are like. Uh, I mean, people did things to make a living, and they still made their art, you know. And uh, so we're not like. I mean, I just—I'm like—I have no reason to, you know, be like pity myself about this. Like, it, this is just what it takes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I, I really can appreciate that. It even just seems like it's sort of a historical anomaly how often artists have been able to make a living off of just the art. And even in like the boom period, it's it's still mostly a small percentage that get to that point of like, yeah, I'm totally living off of the work in my career and not just supplementing that. Totally. I mean, I feel like even if you are a, a filmmaker that is making a living from filmmaking, maybe you're doing a big budget blockbuster that you don't care about because <laughs> that's going to pay your bills or you're doing a commercial, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. So... I mean, it's just, I don't know. Uh, until, it's, it's, I guess it's the way the society is set up, you know, where we uh, value non-creative type of work more than we value creative work. I mean, we are not, I don't know, we're not set up in a way that our artists can make a living. And until things change, I feel like we just have to accept it. I agree. Sorry for the pessimism. No, 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 I'm, I'm right there. I'm probably even more pessimistic that it's it's... It's going to get worse. It's going to get harder and harder to, to finance. <laughs> we have to find the new model. Um, well, it's just people don't want to pay so, for anything anymore, so you got to find a different revenue. I know. That's what uh, I yeah, had right. a, an interview the last couple of weeks, and one of the things that came up, and I came out and I kind of just boldly said it, and I said, you know what? I've accepted that nothing I ever make will actually make me any money personally. You know, like, I'll make my money off of the making of it, and then if there's any, like, licensing or royalties, but I will never actually, like, make a film that probably gets released and makes millions of dollars, and I get a cut of that theatrical money. I feel like the industry that I'm going to end up making films for is going to be an audience who wants it right now and for free and at their home. And then some like, kind of advertising scheme where you put Dr. Pepper in every scene or something. <laughs> However it looks, but I just, I don't, I don't know what it looks like right now. And I don't think, I think all of the industry kind of looks at each other going like, where are we headed guys? Like what is really kind of the next 
look of things because of what just the internet just kind of blew up and changed everything and you know we saw it hit the the music industry and we've seen it starting to take over the film and i think netflix has changed everything and everybody's just like wait a minute what are we supposed to do now um i don't know and i feel like by the time i'm if you know i get to the point where i get to make films for a living i don't think i'm going to be making a tons of money off it i think it's just going to be what i do because there's going to be such a need for content and yeah a lot of it, and a lot of it cheap, but good, but still cheap and free for their audience. I think people, like, they're going to subscribe to some channel thing on the internet in their home, and they're going to watch what they want to watch, and they're not going to have extra, like, movie tickets that they're paying you for. I mean, like, every single thing on Funny or Die, like, do they get any money? Maybe some slight advertising revenue? Yeah. Yeah, it's, no, it's a gamble for exposure. Yeah, it's like you you make your money off of the work of making it. Like that's what you have to get back to. Is like this was my job for those couple of weeks or months so that I made this thing. But after that, it's not. It's out of my hands. It's whoever's taking that gamble. Um, no, totally. Because like I feel like on the one hand, it's really great that you can be a very niche filmmaker but you can also find your really niche audience Mm -hmm. but it's like this small I mean I've certainly like you accepted that I'm probably going to make films that are going to speak to a very small audience so I have to be personally responsible and make sure that these films are inexpensive uh, so that there is a tiny chance that whoever puts in the money can make their money back Mm -hmm. and and I have also accepted that I, I'm probably not going to ever make a, at least for a long time, make a living from filmmaking. And I think I just have to be okay with that. And yeah. Like, gone are just, the days of the, you know, dramatic sunglasses and getting in your Ferrari and driving down PCH and going like, ha-ha, <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> um, I don't know that, that, uh, that ever happened, but I know it definitely will not happen ever again. Correct. <laughs> I have that image in my mind, and I know that that is not going to happen. <laughs> but I mean, so. I think we know that's obviously that's not why we're doing this. So it's because we love storytelling, and we want people to hear our stories. Because that's that's why we do what we do. Um, but hey, all, but I wouldn't say no to a paycheck. No, right, of right, right. We have to. That's the thing. It's, <laughs> gosh. Well, I, d- I didn't want to let you go without at least talking a little bit about just kind of like craft and kind of your processes that you work through personally. If you have any hints or tips, um, you know, kind of peek behind the curtain and kind of what is it like for you to write? Like, what's your kind of day to what's your day look like when you're like, I'm writing today? What do you do? Like, just practically? What is it like for me to write hard? It's very hard. Uh-huh. But uh, practically, I think it depends on the kind of story. Uh, so, for instance, for Minnesota Nice, uh, we, I mean, I always work character first. So, you know, we had our two lead characters, the brother and sister, and we did uh, a significant amount of work on both of them. And that film, uh, I think... Uh, we were able to sort of just like lay out on index cards and outline 
and we're doing several drafts of the outline before we actually start writing it. Mm-hmm. So, so that process has been, I would say, a little bit more efficient than my Indian boarding school story, because the the boarding school project is, it's really strange, but I think uh, it's more personal to me, and I'm drawing on a lot of memories from my high school years that I don't necessarily have access to off of the top of my head. Like they're there, but I just don't remember them. You know, I don't remember the details and the texture of things. So for that, I started a process that I've never done before. But I started writing in prose, mm-hmm. and uh, I have like, oh my god, like fifty thousand words of prose. It's like a mini novella, <laughs> but but that really helped me like access all these memories that I just thought were gone you know and I remembered all these details and I could do work I I wrote from the point of view of uh, several of the main characters and the structure and the story has really evolved from that so uh, and I'm after all of that I'm outlining now and then I will go into a draft so I guess it's different from project to project but um, more and more I'm trying to you know set a certain kind of discipline where i have a time of day where i sit down and i write and it doesn't matter i think the biggest thing for me is to tell myself that it doesn't matter if it's shitty i just have to get the words down on the page and in fact I'll, i know it's going to be shitty i give myself the permission <laughs> to be shitty because otherwise i i found myself be paralyzed and like sit in front of uh, the blank screen for hours and not put anything on the page. Oh, the dreaded so, blank screen. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I've kind of tried to actually come to think of the blank uh, screen, I don't know, as a place of freedom, you know? This is like the only uh, time where you're unencumbered by anything else, you know? You can just write what you want and, and then tell yourself that it can be bad and no one has to read it. And you just have to get the bad stuff out there so that you can make it better. <laughs> no, I really like what you're saying, and I find a lot of commonalities with writing music that you, you have to make a volume of demos and really just start making sounds before you can sort of pull on a thread that seems interesting. But when you just sort of sit there with nothing and you're you not just like, do something great immediately, <laughs> like that's just not how it works. Or I mean, every once in a while you're kind of hit with an idea that just seems immediately great and turns out to be, but most of the time it's you got to kind of go through a lot and process a lot before you kind of pull out the good stuff. At least that's my experience. No, totally. And it, I think it's comforting also to like write, you know, read about like filmmakers and writers and and just like learn from like learn from them that it it does take time to come up with something good and it's okay to be slow you know sometimes like good stuff takes a while and i think uh, trying not to feel the pressure that you feel in la of like just putting stuff out there and yourself out there uh, constantly and always having something new and exciting to talk about at parties i yeah. just to, to, to kind of like step away from that a little bit and be like this is my process. I am a slow writer. I'm uh, it, like it takes, uh, you know, time for stories to mm-hmm. percolate, and 
and, and that just has to be okay. And not to like inadvertently make this a Tarantino podcast, but doesn't he take like five years in between every film and himself? I think he's only done like six in like twenty years. That's true. So I mean, I mean, yeah. he's he's obviously just one among probably thousands of of examples of a slower process. Yeah. I mean, there's Tarantino and there's Woody Allen, and you could fall anywhere on and Terrence Malick. I mean, you could fall anywhere on that spectrum, and that's absolutely fine. You know. Yeah, I don't know why there's this like association with like, oh, he hasn't made something in a while. He must have like. If something's wrong or he lost a touch or this or that it's like well you know people just have their own ways of doing things when i think speaking for myself there's also just sort of the like oh i'm not getting younger i don't have like this thing that represents some giant you know amazing thesis piece of why i'm something special in the world and it's like that kind of pressure isn't necessarily healthy or it can definitely get very unhealthy yeah, totally. I think um, I've personally I went through a lot of that too, especially last year. And getting Detective made was just like I'm still so haven't made movies. Why do I think I'm a filmmaker and I haven't made movies? Um, and wanted to use it to not be an unhealthy motivator, but like a let's make some content, and get something out there. Um, yeah. And we, I mean, we moved really, really fast on that and had a blast. Um, and I, I know next time we'll be able to, you know, hopefully there's, you know, more time and development and everything, but I wouldn't change anything we did about that for a second. Um, no, it was so inspiring. I mean, like <laughs> to watch from the outside, just to be like, all right, you know, uh, and I, I feel like you guys did a lot of things right that I think we did wrong. Like you knew your budget, you had everything in place, and then you went out and did your crowdfunding campaign, got the money, and and then you were making the film, like, the very next week, you know? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I thought it was really, really inspiring, so... Oh, thanks. We were uh, we were stuck with my my parents were out of town those couple of weeks, and we had to shoot something. Then, There's so. the opportunity. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't that feature, we were just going to go shoot something. So it was like, oh, well, we might as well just see if we can squeeze a feature in up there. Log uh, cabin yeah. movie. <laughs> but uh, so. no, but I, I, I and then I'm right in the same place. Like we've we've finished that film now, and like we're doing the festivals and like waiting for whatever might happen next. But it's also like I still want to make something else. I still want to get that next thing going, and I've just kind of been floating by. I haven't done anything since then. And it's kind of a false pressure, I think. You know, um, like I was just re- I was watching this video today. Uh, which maybe if you want to include in the link to this in the description, but I think it's called the long game. And it was talking about exactly this, you know, that when we think about like artists in the past and we always think about like their successes, but we forget like the years and years that they spent like working up to those successes. And many of them didn't have success until like well into their 40s or their 50s. Uh But somehow Mm -hmm. like we have this thing of like like say 30 is this big magic number i was like i'm 30 what have i done (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) it's like and then you have all these lists like 30 under 30 filmmaker magazine and i'm sure there's music that they put out and i'm like great like 
I'm not gonna make that list anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mine you know? was always uh, Sam Raimi did Evil Dead when he was 19 and 20 or whatever, and I'm like, <laughs> what? I can't compete with any of that. Spielberg making Jaws at 26. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I know. I mean, I don't I hate need those to hear people. that. Yeah. I also I mean, think like, yeah, I hate them all. among like oh there's a pressure like people like hide their early stuff too they don't they don't really show off the developmental stuff that everyone has to have you aren't born an amazing filmmaker and uh i mean i think it was even in the the coen brothers uh inside lewin davis when he tells his sister like no you got to hide all that early stuff because it ruins the mystery for people and then later (laughs) he he really misses it after it, it gets destroyed or lost or something and he's like oh wait that's actually a very precious development time but um i mean i've seen even i won't name names there's a there's a an artist that i have interacted with that uh clearly has released other albums but he produced a admittedly better album and sort of pretended it was his debut he's like this is my debut album and i'm like i guess but it's like your third album (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's just like i guess this is the the marketing campaign is here's a new artist but you've been playing for 10 years I know. I mean, I feel like if there was a much more open conversation about it, I think like people wouldn't feel this pressure and, you know, kind of like alone. So uh, which I think people can feel, especially like in a place like L.A. where you always have to put your game face on, you know. And I I think like most people like us are experiencing various degrees of failure, you know, (laughs) constantly. This is like a person. Yeah, it's like whether it's like a small thing where like you weren't able to write a good scene or you pitched your story to someone and they were like, huh interesting and you know they fucking hated it (laughs) so you know so if it's like either a small thing or something bigger where you know they they don't want to fund you or they don't want to cast you or they don't want to distribute you Mm -hmm. and we all endless rejection all the time yeah endless rejection and i wish we could just talk about it more openly (laughs) (laughs) guys that hurt (laughs) you said no and i I worked really hard on this thing and you said no and Hang on a second. Come back here. You know. Yeah, I mean, not even with the person who said no, because whatever, that's their job. But I think, like, yeah. amongst our peers, you yeah. know, yeah, to be like, yeah, this, like, this sucks. This is something that we experience constantly, and we don't have to always be in a great mood and talk about our projects. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's really exciting. Listen, you know, um, so. no, because it's. It's really hard. Actually. Well, it, it becomes really <laughs> obvious when, like, that's the only tone you're allowed to take on creative work is positive excitement about something that's about to happen. Like, it just starts yeah. to feel so fake, and I don't know. I'm thinking of Pleasantville for some reason, but yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I'm because thinking it's of Minnesota so far nice. from the truth. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so far from the truth because it's not just like not only like every week. I feel like every day or every hour is a roller coaster. You know, when you're like, "Oh, that was great. Oh, that sucked." You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that's just like constant. Gosh, yeah, yeah. So well, we keep hanging in there. I guess that's all we can do. <laughs> well, we could quit. <laughs> but the, all right, let's all quit. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> then what do we a good do? Run. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no more podcasts, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, we are coming up on about an hour here, and um, I think it's it's been a great conversation. I feel like we could keep going for another hours and hours too. It's been really good. Um, but we but we have to yeah think have about your listeners. Get back to our evening and listen. So, uh, but yes, thank you very much. Though this has been really great and informative, and let me get to know you a little better too. And I really appreciate that. So, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, we've got a, a lot of great links for the notes here, but is, is there any particular place you'd like to point people where they can follow what you're up to? Do you have like your own website or, or Twitter or anything like that you'd want to share? Uh, I'll send you a link to my website, which is really www.shichitaladi.com. But okay. the Vimeo page is probably what I'm the best at updating. Okay. So, we'll yeah. make sure that's right up there in the notes. Great. All right, thank you about you guys were great. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored. Oh, our pleasure. pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, great to right. finally uh, meet you online at least. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> um. All right. All right, guys. All right. Thanks a lot, Shishi. We'll let you go. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, just for our listeners, you can check out the show notes on this episode at pseudobookpodcast.com slash 007. So definitely take a look at those links. 